this morning we're going to go to the Word, and we encourage you um, to dive in uh, to the Lord's presence in worship. Um, you know, there, there at your home, um, you know, get into your prayer closet and seek after Him, whatever that looks like for you. Um, but, but please make sure that you do, because there is nothing that compares to the presence of God. Um, we, we see that revelation very clearly with Moses when he refused to go on toward the promises of God without the presence of God. And we need to make sure that, that we have that same heart and that same attitude. Not what can I get from God because of his promises, but really just valuing that time with him. That time just you and Jesus just soaking in the presence and just valuing that time together. Um, you know, it's one of the things that Jesus uh, wrote to, uh, to the churches in Revelation, to return to our first love. You know, for those of us who are married, you know, think about what your relationship looked like when you were first courting or first dating, you know, um, how you valued just being together. Didn't even have to do anything necessarily. You know, Becky and I spent a lot of time just driving around back when gas prices were cheap, you know, um, not necessarily to get anywhere, but just to be together. And really, that's, that's what I believe God wants to draw us back to as a church, just to be with him just to allow him to plant good things into your life and develop those good, healthy fruits of the Spirit. Um, you know, we love the gifts of the Spirit, and we love the works of God, but the works of God are meaningless. They're like clashing symbols if it isn't for the love of God and the manifest presence of God. So make sure you're seeking after that in your own life. Just enjoy life together with Jesus. Even if nothing else is going right, just, just rest assured that you're standing on the rock he has a plan. He has a purpose. This is not your destiny. It is just a temporary season that he's taking you through. And uh, just really value the presence among anything else. So this morning we're going to be continuing our message series, Planted, right? Um, where we're ch being challenged to be more intentional about the biblical life principle that we reap what we sow, we harvest what we plant. It's true in the natural world, and it's true in the spiritual world as well. And so we've got to question ourselves, you know, what are we sowing? What are we planting in our lives? Because whatever goes in, that is what is going to be produced, right? As God's word says here in Galatians chapter 6, verse 7, we can't be deceived in that matter. Whatever you're feeding your life, that is what your life is going to contain. That is what your life is going to reproduce in the life of those around you. Um, in fact, God can't be mocked because this is his principle. This is how he designed his creation, that a man reaps what he sows. Here's quite possibly this morning the most challenging part of this life principle about planting, though. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. The reality is, for me to reap and harvest anything from this tiny little seed here, from this tiny little seed, for me to reap and to harvest anything from it, I first have to let go of it and bury it. I have to allow it, essentially, to die. I have to do what seems illogical and unreasonable. I, I have to shove it way down in the dirt, and then just walk away from it. That's the only way to receive anything from that tiny little seed, though, is to literally bury it, put it to its death, and then just walk away from it and leave it. Essentially, I need to trust God with it 
completely, completely letting it go, right? You, we, we see this, you know, common phrase out there. You may even have it on your uh, living room wall, you know, to let go and let God. But that's really what it is. We need to learn to let go of things and just to let God be God, to move and to speak, um, you know, on our behalf and, and to us. Because the reality is, you know, we are completely out of control of so many things in our lives, and, and we need to let them there. We need to let go and to let God. We need to trust God. And that's what you do when you plant a seed. You, you dig a hole, you put that seed in the ground, you bury it, and then you just leave it. You know, you may come by and water it, but that's it. You completely trust God to grow it and to do a work there. Now, Paul explained this spiritual and life reality that is drawn from this, um, this, this re spiritual reality drawn in nature here, because the spiritual often mirrors the natural, and the natural often mirrors the physical, and vice versa. Why is that the case? Because that's just God. He is the creator. He created them both. He created the spiritual realm and the natural realm. And so they often reflect one another. Um, so whether we plant a physical seed in the ground, whether we're planting in our natural lives or our spiritual lives, God is the creator of them all. And so Paul wrote this, and he said in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 5 through 9, and this is sort of a, a correction that he's bringing to the church in Corinth because they're fighting over who to follow. Um, and you may be having that in your own household right now, you know. Who do we follow, uh, you know, when you're looking to mankind? And, and Paul brings us back to this reality. And he says, what after all is Apollos? He was one of the leaders that the church was wanting to follow. And, and what is Paul referring to himself? He said, they're only servants through whom you came to believe. As the Lord has assigned each one to his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the ones who waters, they have a purpose, and they will be rewarded according to their labor. Because we are co-workers in God's service, and you are God's field. And so you see, it, it's necessary for us to do the work of the Lord, to serve him faithfully. If Paul hadn't come along and planted the seed, which was the gospel about Jesus, the good news about Jesus, if Apollos hadn't come along and sort of discipled them and watered that seed, um, God wouldn't have anything to work with. God could not have accomplished the work that he did in Corinth. But in reality, it wasn't really Paul that did anything or Apollos that did anything. It was God who made the church grow. And it's no different in our lives. We have to faithfully do our part, but the reality is the growth is out of our hands. We have to do everything that we are called to do and then trust God with the rest. That, that's what faith is all about, right? God who makes all things grow. Now, growth requires several things that we don't really like, right? Growth requires faith. Growth requires trust. Growth requires patience. And as we're learning this morning, perhaps the hardest one is that growth requires sacrifice. Growth requires us to be uncomfortable and to do what seems unnatural and illogical and to put ourselves in a position that we just don't like, that we would not choose for ourselves. But it's when we step out of our comfort zone and when we are stretched, that's where we truly grow. 
You know, for those who had children, you know, we, we rejoice that they can now walk and run and ours now driving, you know. But that didn't come without some sacrifice and growing pains. You know, we had to keep getting our kid back up and kind of stabilizing them and watching them stumble off and fall and get hurt and cry. And yet we picked them back up again and again. And it wasn't we were trying to hurt them or punish them or put them through this, you know, torment. We just wanted to see them grow to reach their full potential. And it's no different with us in our spiritual life. When you get some bumps and bruises and you wonder, why is this happening? Life isn't fair. God, what are you up to? Sometimes it may just be that he's growing and maturing you. It's not a comfortable place, but it's a necessary place. Because if I hold on to, you know, this, this seed and I safely store it away, it will never, ever reach its full potential. It'll be comfortable, all inside of its shell, all warm and nestled and comfortable, you know. It'll never change, though. It'll never grow, it'll never mature, and it will never, ever be able to obtain the full potential for which it was created. It is only through the discomfort of growth that it can reach this full growth stage and become fruitful, right? The reality is I can take this seed, and I can hope, and I can dream, and I can pray, and I can declare, and I can prophesy, and I can proclaim, and anything else that I can think of doing over this seed, but it's always just going to remain a seed until I choose to let it go, to bury it, to essentially put it to its death. We must let go and trust it into God's hands, right? That's the reality. We have to let go and let God. We may be able to justify holding on to that seed and, and label it as good stewardship, you know? Not taking the risk, not making the investment, you know? Um, I, I just, I don't want to risk losing this thing. Because after all, it might actually fully die if I don't do it right, you know? And, and fear can really be a snare that holds us back from so many things in life. And no matter what good thing we may label it as, the reality is until we really just trust God and bury it and crucify it and kill it, God can't make it grow. It'll never reach its full potential. We will, we will end up with that same seed in our hand with nothing left to show for it. No fruitfulness whatsoever. And so many Christians live their lives that way. They, they become stifled and unfruitful. They're the same person as they were 10 years ago. Why? Because they're not willing to step out of their comfort zone crucify, kill some things in their lives so that God can burst forth this new life from it. And that's not God's desire. That's not his plan. That's not his will. Most of us are familiar with this parable um, of the talents, right? The parable of the talents. Most of us are familiar with it. I'm not going to read through the whole parable. But we know how it ends for that person that simply returns to God that which they were entrusted with, right? Um, Jesus said here in Matthew chapter 25, uh, starting at verse 26, he called them a wicked, lazy servant. He said, you knew that I harvest where I have not sown. You know that I gather where I have not scattered seed. Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers. At least when I returned, I would have received some interest back. So he said in verse 28, take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has ten bags. Whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now you may think that, that doesn't sound very Christ-like, you know, but this is Jesus who gave this parable. 
We can't take our faith. We can't take our salvation. We can't take the, the gifts that God has given us and just return them back to him. He expects growth. He expects maturity. He expects multiplication for those things he has entrusted you with. And he wouldn't expect those things if they weren't possible, right? He is a good, just, righteous God. If he's expecting it of us, then we can do it. We possess the ability. In the same way that this seed possesses so much more potential than to just be this seed, right? For this to happen with the seed, however, I've got to do the same, right? God entrusted us with that seed so that we might cooperate with him. So we can break free from that shell, and grow, and mature, and be fruitful, and to multiply, so that that one seed becomes many, many, many seeds, able to do the same thing. It's so amazing to me to think about how you could plant one little seed, and it continues to produce plants, and fruits, or vegetables, and more seed, which produce more plants, until Jesus returns. That multiplication process can continue, and you and I are evidence of that in the spiritual realm. You know, we've got the, the, that small group of about 120 people in the upper room who became a worldwide movement so that thousands of years later, you and I heard the good news about Jesus. That's what discipleship is all about. It's a multiplication process. You're not saved just to be saved. You're not saved so that whenever you, you stand before the judgment seat, you know, and you're at the throne of Jesus, that you can be like, I'm saved, I'm clean, I'm good. He wants you to bring hordes of people with you. It's a multiplication process. That's what discipleship is all about. But for that to happen, I have to let that seed go. I have to bury it. Now to clarify, the wicked and lazy servant, he was the one who buried his bag of gold. So it sounds like a bit of a contradiction here. So I want to clarify that, right? Because they dug a hole and they buried it, right? That's what they did with their bag of gold, well, for those of you who aren't aware, there is no such thing as a money tree. You, you can't bury a bag of gold and have a tree plop up and have multiple bags of gold there, right? It just doesn't happen. It does not happen. Money just doesn't grow on trees. The old adage is accurate, right? However, digging a hole and burying something does work for seeds, doesn't it? For any of you who have ever gardened around the house, you know that full well. And it also is true with our spiritual lives. It's so true. Six different times in all four Gospels, it is recorded that Jesus said this. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. So he wants us to be a bunch of losers, right? He wants us to lose our lives. He wants us to bury them, to let go of them for his sake and trust our lives into his hands so that he can break us out of that old seed of our old selves and grow and transform into something so much better and so much greater. He wants us to live fruitful lives, abundant lives. Now, we don't exactly go out and dig a hole and bury ourselves, right? That's not what God wants us to do. What Jesus was referring to obviously wasn't literal physical. We don't go dig a grave and bury ourselves and, you know, expect ourselves to somehow, you know, grow out of that. It's no different with the money bag, right? That just doesn't happen. It's not reality. The seed that we possess that God wants us to bury, the life that he wants us to lose, 
is our old sinful self. The, the person that we were born as. The person we were born as is not the person that's going to reach the full potential that we were created for. We were born like a seed, but we were created for so much more. And it's only when we break free from that shell and let that old self die that the new life can burst forth, transformed. And in fact, the Bible mentions many times that we need to, uh, to, to kill our old fleshy selves. We need to put them to death. We need to crucify them so that this life transformation can take place. Jesus said we need to take up our cross, right? We need to lose our lives for his sake. We need to totally and completely trust our lives into his hands. And he lived the example of that. He died and literally physically was buried in the grave. But all oh, the transformation that took place after that. And it's not that Jesus wants us to literally physically die. He wants us to put to death that old sinful nature so that the resurrected self can become our reality. Um, it's said here multiple times. We're going to start with Luke chapter 23, verse, uh, well, ver Luke chapter 9, verse 23 to 25. Then Jesus said to all of them, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves. They must take up their cross daily and follow me. So this is not a one-time decision. This is not an emotional, at-the-altar, you know, uh, kind of decision. It may start there, but that's not where it ends. Every day, we have to choose to crucify that old self and let the new self live. He went on and he said, um, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. And then he goes on and he says, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self. And I think it's interesting that Jesus used that phrase. There's so many people out there in the world today trying to find their selves. And where does the world tell them to look? Look within yourself, right? And what does Jesus say? You're never going to find the answers there. You're only going to find more questions. He says that you have to lose, you have to forfeit your old life. You have to give up yourself. You're not going to find your purpose and your, your, your life within yourself. You're only going to find it without yourself. You're going to find it when you lay down your life and allow Jesus to give you a new life. You're only going to find it outside of yourself through Jesus. He's the source. He's the author of life. He is. There's no other place where we can find life. Uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 12 through 15, Paul wrote, and he said, we have an obligation but it's not to the flesh any longer to live according to it. Because if you continue to live by your flesh, and your flesh is like your mind, will, emotions. It's just living for yourself, your selfish desires. He said, if you continue living according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will truly live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive doesn't make you slaves so that you live in fear. Rather, the Spirit you received actually brought about your adoption to sonship. See, when you choose to put your faith in Jesus Christ, you become a child of God. You reign sovereign over all with Him. You're seated in heavenly places you have a new family line, a new bloodline. you got new brothers and sisters all over the face of the earth. Some you've never even met. You've been adopted. But that only takes place 
when we put off our old self. And I can only imagine some of those who have been adopted what that feels like. To put off that old self, that old life, and to embrace your new name, your new identity, your new family. And to embrace that and to know that you are loved and accepted and appreciated and needed exactly as you are. In fact, Paul wrote in Colossians chapter uh, 3, verses 1 through 10, Since then you've been raised with Christ, because it's a reality, you're now seated in heavenly places. You, you don't have to wait until Jesus returns or you physically die and kick the bucket to have a new life. You have the resurrection power of Christ within you already through the Holy Spirit. So since then you've already been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God and set your minds on the things above. Remember a few messages ago we talked about that? Your heart, your mind, these inward things. That's where everything from life comes from. So we need to put good kingdom things. Set your hearts above. Set your minds on the things above, not on earthly things. Because you died. Now your life is found in Christ. When Christ, who is your life, appears then you will also appear with him in glory. So put to death whatever belongs to your old earthly nature. And then he goes on in this whole list. Sexual immorality, huge in our culture today, right? In fact, we're promised that you'll find yourself by experimenting that way and trying different things. And then you eventually realize that it doesn't lead to life. It doesn't lead to you finding yourself. It actually causes you to lose yourself. Lose your identity, lose your purpose. You die. So put to death those things. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is just a form of idolatry. Because of all these things, the wrath of God is coming. And all of us used to walk in these ways, in the life that we used to live. But now... We have to rid ourselves of all these things, including anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. How many Christians still curse? God desires better things for us. He doesn't want us to, to speak filthy language. He wants us to speak blessing and life. In fact, he says in verse 9, don't lie to one another because you've taken off your old self with all of its practices, and you've put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. And when you read this, you can picture that seed. You've taken off that old self. You've broken out of that seed, that shell. Why would you try to cram yourself back into that shell again? You've been set free. So walk in freedom. Get rid of those old ways that you used to live and walk in the new ways that you have. You've taken that thing off and you have a new self, right? A new self renewed by the Holy Spirit within you. And every day it's being renewed. You broke free from that shell. You are free, so stay in that freedom. You're being renewed day by day into the image of your creator, into the image of Christ. You don't need that old self. You don't need those old practices. You have something new. You have a new manna, fresh manna from heaven that doesn't rot or spoil or fade. You have a new grace, a new mercy. You don't need any of those old things the way you used to live. In fact, I love the way this scripture is painted in the message translation of the Bible. And I don't often go there, but I just love the way this is, uh, this is phrased. And it's phrased this way. You're done with that old life. It's like a filthy set of ill-fitting clothes that you've stripped off and put in the fire. Now, 
You're dressed in a new wardrobe. Every item of your new way of life is custom made by the creator with his label on it. All the old fashions, they're obsolete. Yes, don't try to live in the styles of yesterday. Put on that new fashion, that Jesus label, right? I love that, that picture, that idea, um, you know, the way that is phrased. And honestly, once we've turned to Jesus, why would we ever want to turn back? Sometimes we forget the pain, the agony, the death that that old way of life, you know, um, really brought about. We're tempted by those old things because all that the enemy wants to remind us of is the pleasure that we receive from them temporarily. And the Holy Spirit wants to replace those desires, satisfy those desires with good things. Psalm 102 again. Um, in fact, this is what um, Paul reminds us, and most of us know this scripture very well. I'm going to quote from it from 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 14 through 17. Paul said, Christ's love compels us. That should be the motivating factor in life. Not me and what I can get and what I need, but the love of Christ. And how I can express that to other people so that they see him when they see me. He said that Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all. That is Jesus. Therefore, we've all died. And he died for all so that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for Jesus who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, and this should, be, mm, this should be a verse that we memorize, a verse that we live by. From now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Because you're a royal priesthood. You're a nation of priests. You're a holy people chosen by God. You are a prophetic nation, not a pathetic nation, a prophetic nation, a prophetic people. So we don't look at people from a worldly perspective anymore, although we used to. In fact, Paul went on and he said in verse 16 that we once even regarded Christ this way, but we do so no longer. And we all know verse 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. The new is here. So live your new life. Live your best life. Let go of the old. Bury it like a seed in the dirt and let that new life burst forth. Because too often we count the cost, don't we? Now Jesus said we should count the cost of being a disciple. But he didn't say that so that we're like, nope, don't think so. Mm, too much, you know. Too often we get tripped up on counting the cost, looking at what we lose when we, when we crucify that old fleshy self, when we give up anger and malice and rage and sexual morality and lust and greed and all those things, giving up filthy language. What am I going to say then, you know? <laughs> we, we think about what we're losing, but really that should not be our focus. We consider the things of the flesh that we're giving up. Now think about this, in this natural example, how depressing would it be if a farmer were to go, about, go around talking only about the thousands and thousands of countless seeds that he once had, but he buried them, he killed them, he gave them away, they're gone. Now all he has to show for it is dirt. 
with a bunch of dead seeds laying around in it. I mean, how depressing would farming be if that was the end result, right? But so many people look at the Christian life that way. It's just what you have to give up. I have to give up that to be a Christian? Nah, don't think so. We just count the cost and we, we get tripped up on that. The focus isn't on some tragic loss. Think about the farmer. He's not thinking about some tragic loss of seed when he looks at his freshly planted fields out there, does he? No, he looks out on that field with hope, with excitement, with zeal, because he knows what is being accomplished. What is being accomplished is a bountiful harvest. There is a coming harvest when he looks out on that field, and that's all he sees. He sees the bounty that is coming when the time comes for the harvest. The sowing and the planting of seed, it is merely a necessary investment. It's an investment made to produce a harvest in the future. The sowing of seed is hard work, but it is work done in faith and in trust that it will not be done in vain, but rather it will grow and produce a bountiful harvest. Now, if that happens in the, in the natural world, how much more does it take place in the spiritual world? When we, when we give up our old selves, how much more do we reap a harvest, a bountiful, you know, full and abundant life as a result? In fact, Psalm 126, verse 5 through 6 says this, Those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow, they will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. Now, I don't know if you were like me, but I grew up watching Little House on the Prairie, and when they had their good old church services, I think that's the only hymn that they ever sang, right? You know, bringing in the sheaves, bringing in the sheaves, we will come rejoicing, bringing in the sheaves. And that's really what this, that, that hymn came from. You know, you may be going through a season right now that is hard. And I'm not trying to take away from that whatsoever. Life is challenging. We live in a broken world because of sin. We go out there, sometimes with tears, sometimes weeping. We are just investing. And we don't see anything happening as a result. But don't give up because you will return with songs of joy. You will return with songs of joy. In case you were wondering, it's in there twice, right? You will reap songs of joy. You will return with songs of joy. So don't give up now. Keep planning. Keep sowing. Keep believing. Keep up the faith. Keep hope because your harvest is coming. It is on its way. It's probably nearer than you realize. So our focus shouldn't be on the hard work done to plant and to sow, on crucifying the flesh and getting rid of that old self. Our focus should be on the full potential, the abundant life that is going to be produced as a result. Our focus should be on that, that new life emerging, right? You know, that harvest that we're going to receive, the fruits of the Spirit that will be produced. We all want a rich, bountiful harvest of love of joy. I know I need some joy in my life right now. Of peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and goodness and self-control. We want all those things. Well, they're only going to take place when we let that old self die and we raise up in our new life. 
And the Holy Spirit does all the hard work. All that we have to do is leave our lives in our hands. You see, that, that seed will never reach its full potential if every day I go digging it back up and looking at it and seeing if anything happened. And then burying it. And then going out the next day and digging it back up. You know what happens when you do that? You kill it. You kill that seed and all the potential it possessed. we got to stop doing that in our spiritual lives. We can't keep looking back to the good old days, you know, and looking back and looking back and looking back. What did Jesus say about the one who looks back? If you put your hand on the plow and you look back, you ain't fit for the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is always moving forward because it is a prophetic kingdom. Always looking at the potential, always looking forward, always looking for that harvest that is coming. A harvest of the fruits of the Spirit. This is what helps us to persevere and to keep our faith through challenging times. Though it may seem like a season of loss and pain and suffering, it may very well end up just being a season of breaking out of your shell. It may be a season of experiencing a whole new aspect of life in Christ. How could I ever know God as my healer unless I was sick with no hope from the doctors? No hope from natural, um, you know, uh, sources. How could I um, know God is my provider unless the lack was greater than any resource that I had access to? How could I know Jesus as the Prince of Peace without going through an overwhelming season of chaos and confusion? How could you know God in all those different ways and all those different attributes unless you go through the challenging times? It may rain on the just and unjust, but there's a radical difference for how the storms of life end for us, right? For those of us who are in Christ, empowered by the Holy Spirit, God's desire is that we emerge from the storms of life cleansed, stronger, with a, with a greater faith and trust in Him than ever, right? Not just wet, <laughs> not just wet and not broken, you know, think about this example. What, what do we run the water that comes into our homes often through if you don't have good water? You run through a pure filter, and if you crack open one of those filters, or maybe if you've accidentally broken one, you'll find that what's in those water filtration systems is nothing more or less than charcoal. Life, purity, happens through death, and only through death. If dead wood that's partially burned, can purify your drinking water and take away all those impurities? Think about what, what, the, what death in our lives can actually bring about that is good. Life from death, being raised up and resurrected by Christ by laying those things down and putting them to death and crucifying them once and for all. So this morning I, I want to challenge us, and I feel like God wants us to sort of raise our expectations in Him. He wants to shift our perspective toward the things that we go through in life. We may go through seasons where we go out weeping, sowing in tears, sacrificially serving God and giving Him our all. You might be like that widow giving your last couple of pennies, you know, everything you got. And you're wondering, God, where are you? Why am I not seeing you move? Why am I not experiencing your promises? Just like that seed... You planted it in trust. You planted it in faith. You planted it in hope. So don't give up on it. God is simply making it grow. 
You may not see anything happening, but he is developing deep roots so that that life, your life, will come out of that season lacking nothing so that your life will go through even seasons of drought and the scriptures promise that we will never bear to never never fail to bear fruit in and out of season that's what god is doing in your life don't give up don't bail on him don't dig that seed back up thinking that you made a mistake and you wasted your time and you're wasting your life just patiently trust god he is growing. He is developing you. There is good fruit and a bountiful harvest on the other side of this. Just don't give up. Hang in there. Persevere. And you will return singing songs of joy. You will return giving praise and glory to God and telling everyone all about what your God did for you. And they will receive the faith that they need through their drought season, knowing that God is going to do the same thing for them, right? It's just like burying a seed in the ground. We choose to put to death our old fleshy selves and allow the Holy Spirit to raise us up to new life. We wholly surrender our lives to Christ, trusting that when we do that, he will raise us up as a new creation into an abundant life, a full life, a fruitful life, the life that we were always meant to have, the life that we were created for, not the life that we were born into. Like that seed, we will be transformed into so much more than we ever dreamed we could be. We trust that God will grow and mature us and produce a harvest of the fruits of the Spirit. If God can take that tiny little seed and grow it, that little tiny fragile seed and grow it to become a mature plant that produces fruit or veggies or whatever the case might be or nuts and, and then it reproduces itself and reproduces and reproduces and multiplies, then how much more can he do that in your life? How much more does he care about you than that acorn that becomes an oak tree? How much more does he care about you than, than that, you know, that strawberry plant out there? If he takes care of those things, he will take care of you as well, right? All right, amen. So let's just close here with a word of prayer. So Jesus, this morning, Jesus, we just repent. We ask you to forgive us. Forgive us for turning back to our old ways, for picking up old habits, for turning to anything except for you, Lord. And this morning, we just wholly surrender our lives. Jesus, we commit that all that we have is yours. So take us as we are in all of our sin and shame and weakness. Take all of our successes and failures, our glory and our shame, and work it together for good. Have your way. Lord, this morning I just choose to crucify my flesh, my old, old sinful nature. I want to bury that like a seed. We're reminded of water baptism. We, we lay our lives down in death and we raise up in a new life. And so Jesus, we thank you for the new life that is bursting forth. We thank you for an abundant life, a full life, a fruitful life. The best life we could ever live. Jesus, we put our trust and our faith in you. Grow our patience. Develop our trust through these dry seasons. 
Because we know that you're up to something good even when we can't see it. We know that you are good even when we don't feel it. And like David declared, we believe that we will see your goodness here in the land of the living. Our hope is in you. Our eyes are on you, Jesus. In your name, amen. Amen. All right, we'll be blessed. I can't wait to be physically back in person again. God bless you all.